Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade. The tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit TastyTrade.com. Tasty Trade Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Money Movers. I'm Sarah Eisen with Carl Quintanilla, live from Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Marathon Asset Management CEO Bruce Richards, moments away on why the market he says is wrong in a big way about rate cuts. CEO Philip Morris after earnings with that stock tumbling on a weaker outlook. The Kimco Realty CEO on earnings and the turmoil going on in pockets of commercial real estate as well. Meantime, we're watching the markets uh, end this uh, slow climb toward S&P 5K. Not quite there. Interesting day overnight, of course, with the deflationary numbers out of China. And then uh, jobless claims actually fall for the first time in a few weeks as we get more signals about the labor market here. More positive signals, I would say. Just yeah. positive about the economy and some really big earnings movers today. We hit Arm, which is the biggest winner of them all, up more than 50 percent. Ralph Lauren is surging 14 percent. Disney up 10 percent. So... When companies, Hershey, Tapestry, all higher amid, you know, not not the strongest outlooks on the economy, but between cost discipline and, you know, some of the, the commentary about some of these ch- trends and changes like A.I., the market is really rewarding some of these companies. Yeah, even with, as you said, some uh, trimming of guidance over at companies like a Hershey or a PayPal or Harley-Davidson. One of the more interesting calls, I think, today is out of Morgan Stanley upgrading Discover and Ally, saying the economy continues to chug along, inflation's moderating, it's, put it, it's putting more money into consumers' hands, and that's giving some of the financials room to slow their reserves and maybe save some of that for capital returns or profits. We're going to talk about financials because there's kind of a split between the very small regional banks now and then the mid-tier and the upper tier on these commercial real estate concerns. So is the market getting ahead of itself when it comes to pricing in rate cuts from the Fed? That's the thesis of our first guest who says don't rule out zero cuts in 2024 if the data continues to run hot. Marathon Asset Management Chairman and CEO Bruce Richards is back with us opportunities here in credit, your community bank corp and more. Bruce, zero cuts in 2024? Well, hey, Sarah. Hey, Carl. That's that's kind of a downer. I I think that there's probably two or three. I've been saying two or three all along. And there would be zero if we keep on running the economy as hot as it is now. Now, the market had been saying six, seven, and then it was five, six, and now it's four, five. It's going to be two or three, I believe. So March and May are off the table, and and June's probably the first time they cut. But what I really look at is nine cuts, because that's where the Fed and Powell during his tenure is going to get us to it. He's going to get us from five and a quarter, five and a half down to three. That's nine cuts. It's just going to take two years and change. And so what happens this year? Two or three. The market's way ahead of itself where it was and is now waking up. So don't fight the Fed is my message to the market. Listen to the Fed. And they're saying two to three. I'm saying two to three. And I think... We'll be right about but that. But is it really a headwind for the equity market when the reason why they're pairing back Sarah, with that cuts are the economy doing right. well? If the yeah. economy's doing well, the stock market's strong. But, like, am I going to buy at 5K the stock market? No. I mean, I never buy when you're at all-time highs. Why would you? Now, the algos and the models might, but that's not what we do and what I would recommend, you know, most viewers do. So I would have to consolidate here for a long time to kind of justify, you know, these kind of levels because I think the market is a bit ahead of itself. But, hey, high five to 5,000, you know, 
Um, stock market's unbelievable. We're not quite there. 49.92. What do we get to? 97, Carl? We're not. So you got to 99. We're not quite there. We have the Super Bowl coming up yeah. on Sunday, and like you know, for all you Swifties out there, I know you guys are Swifties. For Big all you time. Swifties, you know. Be careful what you're rooting for because when the AFC team wins, <laughs> you know, the stock market typically doesn't go up on that year. And so, listen, I'm a Chiefs fan, but, um, you know, that might know. be a headwind. Just okay. joking. So, um, uh, another you, reason to root for but, the you know, but, but, there's, but there's, you know, some, you know, you know, break of, like, the Magnificent Seven or what I call really the top 10% versus the other 90%. When you think about the top 10%, they're really, and it's beyond the Magnificent Seven because it's companies like, you know, um, Lilly and AMD and JP Morgan, others that are holding their weight with this rally, and there's lots of those stocks, but there's 90% that really aren't participating. And it reminds me of like the general population where you have 10% of the population that controls 90% of the assets, and the bottom 40% are have used all their excess savings, are now in debt. And so you look at like a McDonald's versus Chipotle, Big Mac versus, you know, a burrito. And people are buying their burritos and not buying the Big Macs because there's an income disparity between who shops at McDonald's and who shops at I Chipotle. I know, but it's a great example because McDonald's is now saying we're going to respond on price to stuff like that. We understand that consumers are tired of paying Seven, six, yeah, right. for a hash brown. Exactly. So, so, but what we're seeing, generally speaking, is there's a real bifurcation in the stock market. There's a real bifurcation in the economy. And it's really interesting to observe that you know, across markets. So you don't think Russell goes anywhere, I guess, if, uh, judging yeah. from this rate outlook. I, I don't. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, and what's been pushing earnings, you know, for this last year and a bit um, has been the explosive top line GDP. And now that inflation's coming back down a bit, um, that's going to be a little bit more challenging, I think. So not really interested in the equity market right now. What about fixed income strategy? Oh, you've got to love it. I mean, still love, love, paid. love. I mean, you know, I, I call myself a coupon clipper. You can sit back and, and just like clip your coupons. I was on my Peloton bike this morning, 6 a.m., right? And You're one of the few that still does it. <laughs> and, and that's not true. That's not true. That's what the stock might tell you. But let I me tell you, let me tell you what, the, let me tell you why I was laughing on my Peloton bike, because you have 750 million of a 12% coupon that we're long, that's senior secured. Below that, you have a billion dollars of the convert that we're not long, that gives you the next part of the capital structure. Then you have, a, then you have the equity cap, which is a billion six. And we're a super senior at the very top, earning SOFR plus 700. That's a 12 and 3 eighths coupon that we earn. So what do I love about fixed income? We can just forget where the equities go. We forget whether it goes down or up. We're earning 12 and 3 eighths on that bond. Look at level three, it's $10 billion issue. We're earning 12% coupon. It's backed by the fiber, the bond, backed by the fiber throughout the country. And we can just clip that coupon as a super senior with the tight docks that allows us to have a first lien on that collateral fiber, which fully covers us. So for the average viewer, though, who is not that nimble, do you buy the HYG or what are their options? You know, HYG is a, a, a bit tougher. I think you'll get your 6% coupon. Um, there is, you know, there's leverage loans to buy and buying a leverage loan index, I think, is a better investment. Earning, you know, 300 over SOFR, which is an eight and a quarter average yield. Uh, so buying high yield bonds, unless you're going to make a duration bet, I'd rather lean towards leverage loans. But what we're doing with the biggest portion of our capital on a discretionary basis is K 
capital solutions and asset-based lending because the banks are exiting left on a lot of these businesses where they used to lend to because their balance sheets are a little bloated. Even the big banks need to raise 15 to 20% more capital against a big portion of their book, give them Basel III endgame. And so the banks are where some of the action is as well, whether it's capital relief transactions or what we call risk transfers, whether it's asset sales, whether it's capital raises they have to do. Um, it's a pretty interesting opportunity. So you're not there. a buyer that the end game is going to be more benign than we think? I because think there have been some upgrades of large cap banks, for example, recently. Uh, the, the big banks are going to do great because they're just these massive institutions. JP Morgan, for instance, is expanding throughout the country, right? And, and they're going to, and, and Bank of America and Citi and, and Wells Fargo, and really the top 30 banks are who has to, who has 100 billion of assets or more. Or who are susceptible to the Basel III endgame. What they have to do, and they have a couple of years to do it, is raise more capital, retain more earnings, i.e. profits, against the greater capital requirements. But we have in this country 4,200 banks. 4,200. You look at any trillion-dollar economy, most trillion-dollar economies, GDPs, you know, Japan, India, China, go to the UK, they have like 100 to 300 banks. We have 4,200. I'm not saying we need 100 to 300 banks, but we don't need any more than, sorry to say this, be a party pooper, we don't need any more than 1,000 banks in this country. We have 50 states, <laughs> 20 banks per state is all we need. Every congressional district has a regional bank. But we need 20 in a state that's 1,000 plus your big ones, plus the big hundred. So do you think that this commercial real estate issue is going to be a bit of a reckoning for the smaller ones? I think it's going to be a huge issue, and I think that you know what you're seeing in New York, New York Community Bank is is really you know um, just an example of what's happening around the country. So you don't um, think it's idiosyncratic? I, you I, think I, it's why Yellen's made the comment she has this week? And will regulators approve any? Will they get loose on M and A? So, 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 first of all, there's been 500 mergers of banks, small banks that have happened in the last two years that people just don't even hear about. We've gone from 4,700 banks to 4,200 banks. Next year, it'll be 3,600 banks. The year after, it'll be 3,000. We're going to be marching towards that $1,000 that thousand bank number, mark my words, in the next five to seven years. Yeah, but that is, that's happening by itself. It's not being administered by the FDIC. Those are so the kind the, of mergers that are more... Right. So, they, so, so the FDIC catted over 38 billion of deposits to New York Community Bank when Signature went down in March, less than a year ago. And here we are, you know, look at the opera. And when they did that, they went to 100 billion dollars of, you know, assets and with the increased size of the bank. And now they're systemically important, subject to Basel III Endgame with all this additional operational risk. So what did they do? They fired their risk manager. They fired their chief accounting officer. They brought in you know, Chairman Danello to oversee the bank. And I think he'll do a fine job. But they have all this commercial real estate exposure, A. B, they don't have outflow of deposits because Janet Yellen's basically backstop deposits, but they have a real earnings problem. That's why the stock is down from 14 to 4. It's declined 70% in a matter of a few months. But if it's an earnings problem and not a sort of solvency or liquidity problem. It's a solvency and liquidity problem. It's not it a liquidity is? problem. I was going to say, are you buying debt of it's, these it's, companies? It's, I think it's a solvency issue if, you know, potentially. And, and that's why the stock is getting hammered. They have to raise a lot of equity um, to, you know, to get their core equity tier one ratio back to where the regulators want to see it, um, which is 
you know, the rating agencies just downgraded the junk. Uh, that just happened a couple of days yeah, ago. Yeah. And with that, there's this, you know, downward spiral of their cost of funding is now will go up a lot. And based upon that higher cost of funding, that becomes more difficult for a financial institution such as a bank. So you're not touching this group. So we're not, we would buy assets. We would certainly not mm. buy the debt. No. Assets like commercial real estate? Well, they're going to be selling, you know, some of the residential yeah. loans, maybe some of the commercial real estate loans RV at the loans. right price. Yep. Our RV loans at the right price. We'd be a buyer. So it sounds like you expect some pain, but not necessarily to shake the system like we had last month. I think the system won't be sh yeah. sh shaken because Janet Yellen has drawn the line in the sand. All deposits will be protected. And the, and the, and the regulators in Washington, the OCC, Fed, FDIC, don't want to see any run. So it'll be very organized, very quiet, tucked in when they want to tuck it in. And, you know, the restraints will be put in place where banks will be forced to take action. So we go from 4,700 banks to 4,200 banks in a short period of time. And that march will continue for years to come because they know what they need to do. We have too many banks in the system. There's, a, mm -hmm. there's 30 that are 100 billion in assets or more, and we need beyond that maybe 1,000, not 4,000. Really quickly, Bruce, would you be investing in China right now? China, no. Happy New Year to everyone who celebrates the Chinese New Year and to China. It's the year of the dragon. Wish everyone well. But they're going for a deflationary cycle, A. B, do you know when we had our housing crisis back in 06 through 12 and housing price case index went down 33%, we had 3 million too many homes in this country. And that all that caused that decline. They have over 50 million too many homes that can support 150 million people. That's 10 to 15 years of absorption. So think about all the plant development, the mines and the factories to build all those cities, bridges and buildings that are now not going to be used. And as look, you know, Trump moved away from China in terms of deglobalization. And but President Biden has stayed with that plan of, you know, of of, you know, moving um, and, and keeping tariffs in place and keeping constraints sure. in place. And, and so I think that China, which was really the outpost of manufacturing for the world, uh, India's going to be the new China. Capital's going to start moving that way. China's going to be more isolated because they've aligned more with Iran and North Korea and Russia. And the West has taken issue with that, uh, both technology as well as the geopolitical side. And so while I wish China well and I want to see them do well, I think it, they're going to be fighting deflation for not a year or two, for the next decade plus, mm. with a housing bubble bust that will also bust a lot of their banks in the, in the next decade to come. That's pretty bearish. That is and bearish. We did get a negative CPI report out of China overnight. Thank the you. The first Bruce. of many to come. Yeah, well, no, it was, it was the fourth, I not, think. Not the first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's 0 0.8 negative. And, but we're in this it's deflationary gonna cycle. Worse. It's going to be some time before they wind them way up, wind themselves yeah. out because they have so much excess capacity. They're going to be exporting deflation when they can to the world. Bruce, thank you. Always good to have you. Bruce Richards from Marathon Asset Management. Meantime, shares of Philip Morris so down this morning after the company missed estimates and issued some light guidance. We're going to break down the numbers with the CEO in a minute.
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back. Take a look at shares of Philip Morris International, the tobacco giant delivering a revenue beat. But the stock is down a bit as uh, both the bottom and, uh, and the EPS guidance for the year comes in below consensus. Joining us in a CNBC exclusive today, Philip Morris CEO, Jacek Olczyk. Uh, good to have you. Uh, interesting quarter, especially when we're talking about these Zin pouches and I guess what some would argue is a fairly resilient combustible business. Can you talk about how this turn continues? I think we recorded last year, we delivered last year, very strong uh, top-line growth. Uh, we had the pressure on the margins, I mean, coming from inflations, but very much also from the strength of the U.S. dollars and, you know, most of our operations outside the U.S. So we need to convert all the revenues and the profits in the local currencies in a dollar term. So we came under pressure. I think inventors are looking on the real dollar terms return. So the results were not maybe that strong after the conversions, but also on the underlying uh, parameters of the business being the growth, volume growth, market share growth of our key propositions, especially in the smoke-free products, cycles and in the U.S., we feel very strong uh, uh, for the, you know, with regards to the outlook. It's the first time Michaels, after 10 years of being introduced, surpassed the revenues of Marlboro. So mm. there are a number of the milestones which the company has uh, delivered last year. Wow, that is remarkable. And we remember uh, talking <laughs> talking about Icos with you uh, years ago. Some of the morning shows uh, here, Jacek, are doing stories about uh, the Zin pouch uh, going viral. Can you sort of describe to viewers what you what you think the growth prospects are? Well, I would love to again to repeat to the viewers uh, the fundamental principles how we manage uh, products like Zin or the Icos in the alternative nicotine space. The rule number one is these products are not for the people below the legal age. In the case of AOS, is 21 years old and we're very strict on the following that principle. And after 10 years of Zin's presence in the US, even CDC is reporting less than a 2% use of the underage people. But it's very, I'm very pleased with these results. Obviously, there are some conversations taking uh, taking place, especially in a social media space. And I always want to be very careful because one is having the non-conversations among adults, but we also have to be very careful. People underage may follow these conversations and we don't want to send the wrong impressions or wrong signals today. To them, these products are helping a lot of smokers in the US and very much on the international. They are better alternatives to smoking than many other nicotine-containing products. So from a harm reduction perspective, risk continuum, these products are doing the job, but they are intended for the adult people. And I, I believe we'll be looking into 
uh, pursuing the harm reduction, tobacco harm reduction strategy, the sustainability of your offering is very important. And the sustainability is built that we, del we deliver this product for adults and not for other people who shouldn't have an access to this product. So I like the conversations. I like the exchange of the views, how further accelerate the harm reduction. But we also have to have these conversations in a space that we don't trigger any unintended usage consequences. Is it a growth market in the U.S., smoke-free tobacco? Are you bringing in new, new users, or are they people converting who are smokers, which is a shrinking is. market? No, it is. If you look at the smoke-free propositions in the U.S., I mean, above the oral products like Zin, but also eBay products, etc., they are growing markets. The market still didn't enjoy the access to the heat not burn product. We plan to start bringing this to the U.S. smokers, adult smokers, as of Q2 this year. So this market is very prospectful, also from a perspective that you still have a lion's share of the nicotine consumption. Unfortunately, takes place in the form of a conventional combustible cigarettes with all the harm associated with this. So I think it's a high time that, you know, consumers are being properly informed and have an access to the, all, the, all the portfolio of the different alternatives who can help them leave the smoking behind. So it's a very attractive market from the unit profitability, from the volume, from the absolute size perspective. Hence, our uh, acquisition of Swedish March and very much looking forward also of bringing ICOS to the U.S. Uh, adult smokers. And it is safer than the smoking? I mean, that, that's backed up because it has the same amount of nicotine, right? And, and it still has aerosols that aren't safe to breathe. That's correct. I mean, the product, you know, delivers the same nicotine, talking icos here, uh, uh, than the cigarette. I mean, the products are not obviously risk-free, risk contains nicotine. We know that nicotine is addictive, but nicotine is not the is not the cause of the harm caused by the smoking. We know where the cause is, where the harm is coming from. So I think this product, if you believe, and I think many, many people in the public health domain do believe and recognize that without the uh, giving smokers access to the safer alternatives, the smoking will continue. I mean, look at the numbers which are World Health Organizations has released recently. We have more people using uh, uh, cigarettes today than it was uh, seven or eight years ago. So it's a high time that we, you know, combine all the resources, focus all resources, how to pro propagate the, the, the less, much less, much less harmful uh, uh, alternatives or where people will just continue smoking, which is not great, neither for the individual, not for the, you know, public at large. Yeah. It's been interesting to document uh, over the years with you, Jacek, the reinvention of this entire industry. It's been amazing. That, that Marlboro Icos uh, data is interesting as well. Uh, thanks for the time. Good to see you. Jacek Olczyk of uh, Philip Morris. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ahead, not all commercial real estate is created equally. We're going to speak with the CEO of Kimco Realty, fresh off a strong corner, quarter, signing one million square feet of new leases. We'll find out where. We're back in a moment. Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade. The tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit tastytrade.com. Tasty Trade Inc. is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC. 
still on S&P 5K Watch, getting a little further in view. Let's get to Bob Bassani and go post to post. Hey, Bob. You think we could be helpful and cross over 5,000? But no, 49.97, and we're uh, down a little bit here, not far from the lows for the day. It's been very hard, though, to argue about the tech movement, the big move up in technology stocks. Not many sectors are bucking the trend. There's a couple, though. Lily, some of the big pharma stocks, Lily had our earnings a few days ago, were great. It's up almost 25% year to date. Uh, it's been a real big mover. Uh, Merck's been a big mover. It's been nice to see some other things besides big cap tech move. But there's not an awful lot else that's beating the dominance of big cap tech. There's a few sectors really lagging. Uh, energy hasn't been great, and materials have not been great. The fertilizer industry is just having a terrible time. Prices have been down. Mosaics have been acting terribly uh, for months now. There's other names in this space like Bungie that have been acting terribly uh, as well. But by and large, this rally, this march towards 5,000 from 4,000 is almost entirely big cap technology stocks. We crossed over 4,000 decisively at the end of March, almost exactly one year ago after some very choppy trading for a few years. Uh, you want to see the ETF of the year, in my opinion, was MGK. That's the Vanguard mega cap. This is almost 65 percent Magnificent Seven, seven stocks. It's up since the end of March about 50 percent. The S&P is up about 25 percent. So you can see that outperformance there. And if you just look at sectors here uh, with the S&P up 25 percent, the Magnificent Seven ETF mags is uh, up 51 percent, as I mentioned. Uh, communication services up 47 percent, which is Alphabet and Meta. Uh, technologies up 46. Put up that full screen there. It's just, again, Microsoft, NVIDIA, uh, and Apple that are moving things. Uh, consumer discretionary, again, Amazon and Tesla all moving things rather noticeably. Everything else, it's not that everything else is a disaster. It's just that everything else is dramatically underperforming. So some of the financials are doing a little bit better, industrials and healthcare, but energy, some of these other ones are just not doing much compared to these mega cap tech names, uh, specifically the Magnificent Seven. So if you look at them, the big winners since the, the end of March when the S&P crossed over 4,000 decisively, NVIDIA's up 160%, Meta 130, Amazon 75, Microsoft 50. These are the biggest names in the S&P. When they move that much, that's what moves the S&P 500. So here's the bottom line, folks. If you own a technology ETF, like a triple Q's, the NASDAQ 100, you're happy. If you even own the S&P 500, you're happy as well. But Carl, if you own everything else, broadly diversified portfolio, you're underperforming. Back to you. Yeah, unless you pick some of these earnings winners, though, were some nice moves. Lily. Ralph Lauren, Tapestry, yeah. Disney, all at the top of the market. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani. Okay. Time now for a CNBC News update. Bertha Coombs has that for us. Morning, Bertha. Morning, Sarah. Officials from Hamas traveling to Cairo today for ceasefire talks. The new round of negotiations comes one day after Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected proposals from the terror group and said Israel will fight until it achieves absolute victory. The FCC today outlawed robocalls that contain AI-generated voices. The announcement comes as New Hampshire's attorney general probes robocalls that mimicked President Joe Biden's voice, discouraging people from voting in the state's primary last month. And Olympic organizers today unveiling the design for medals to be handed out in Paris this summer. Each gold, silver, and bronze medal will contain a hexagonal polished piece of iron from the Eiffel Tire Tower. According to organizers, the pieces of iron were cut from girders and other bits of the iconic landmark that were swapped out during renovations. Pretty cool.
Back over to you, Carl. Uh, it's coming up this summer. Uh, Bertha, thank you. Uh, Bertha Coombs. Meantime, Deutsche's uh, chief global strategist going to join us after the break. Why he's still constructive on this market and is betting on the financials. And keeping our eye on Maersk today, the shipping giant seeing a sharp drop today as it suspends its share buyback program, saying the overcapacity due to the Red Sea disruption will hit earnings hard in the coming years. Stock down 15%. Money Movers will be right back. Under Armour is an earnings mover this morning. The stock is a little bit higher near the flat line. Revenue continues to decline at this company, though bottom line um, is being managed with tighter expense controls, and that's been part of the story. Look, Under Armour is in a multi-year, in the early innings of a multi-year turnaround story under the new CEO, Stephanie Lenartz. She's hired all sorts of new people in there. So I think there, there are investors that want to bet on this stock. It's gotten very cheap looking historically. It's down 30% again in the last 12 months or so. They have John Barbados, for instance, in there doing design um, and that those products should come in the coming months. But it's not a growth story. And I think maybe the reaction has to do with the fact that it could have been worse today. We had recent guide downs from Nike, from Puma, from Adidas. So we know that's been kind of a tough category lately. And also the wholesale market, especially in North America, is very challenging. It's why Under Armour took down guidance today think Dick's or Kohl's or the other places they sell. So they have to figure out how to return to growth. But in the meantime, things like freight costs are helping with the bottom line and just getting expenses under control. And that, that helped margins look a little bit better. Yeah, same theme out of Tapestry and a nice margin beat out of Under Armour and the guidance exactly. not too bad as well. Uh, meantime, uh, despite expecting fewer rate cuts this year, our next guest remains bullish on the markets, expecting no sharp slowdown or recession in the first half of the year at least. Joining us here at Post 9 is Deutsche Bank Securities Chief U.S. Equity and Global Strategist Binky Chata. Great to have you back, Binky. Thanks. It's interesting that everyone's obsessive about 5K today because you do think we eventually power through this year, yes? Oh, absolutely. We have a base case of 5,100. That base case is tied to, you know, a base case for earnings, which is tied to the macro outlook. We have a bull case of 5,500, $270 in the EPS for the S&P 500. For 24. For 24, wow. yes. Uh, and all that bull case assumes is that we will have growth like we've had for the last six quarters. Uh, <laughs> so, in other words, it doesn't just... seem like a stretch to me. <laughs> it's actually a little bit lower than we've had. <laughs> so I'm assuming 2.5% GDP growth. Last six quarters, we've actually averaged 3%. Uh, so it, 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 still what I would argue is there's lots and lots of skepticism that remains, uh, both on the economic outlook. I mean, the recession calls have been going for a year and a half, so it takes a while to come out of the system. Simple way to check what everybody's thinking is uh, look at the macro consensus for the first quarter. It's up from around zero to 1.1. Uh, that's on an annualized basis. Yeah. Uh, e, 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 and, you know, things like the Atlanta Fed are this morning at 3.2. So uh, I would argue, 
you know, it, it, it's uh, still pretty skeptical uh, uh, reception. Yes, we are approaching 5K, but... Uh, to your point, yeah, Atlanta's been directionally correct. Um, on the bull case, what things need to go right that are less certain? What are the hurdles for that? Uh, I, I actually don't think that there are many. <laughs> well, make it your base case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, uh, the call is entirely earnings growth related, uh, and and so you know, how do you estimate earnings growth top down? You know, it's going to be a function of the macro outlook. Uh, and the macro outlook for the S&P 500 is not just really about the U.S., it's also about Europe, China, Japan, uh, and, and, and so it's a task, yeah? So uh, I don't do all tasks, so I leave the economic outlook there. But the economic outlook is in the process of getting upgraded, and I would argue, you know, the consensus is going to move. So you, as we were just talking before, uh, Deutsche Bank economists just raised their forecast quite a lot uh, from being below consensus for a year and a half. And now I would say characterized as pretty well above consensus. No real slowdown uh, uh, forward looking, maybe a bit cautious in the current quarter, but otherwise trend like, you know, I would say still a little bit low. So if we've done it uh, or our economists have done it, there's probably plenty of other people looking at the same thing, so I'm still waiting for, you know, some of this cloud to sort of lift, basically, but is the way I would risk, put it. But here's the risk, in your view, which you don't seem particularly worried about. But if the economy continues to surprise to the upside, helping profits, sure, but also could keep inflation sticky and could keep the Fed waiting before all these rate cuts which have been priced in and everybody's so excited about. Isn't that a big risk to the equity market? Sure. So, so there's two or three things that I took away from what you just said. So first, on the inflation front, what I would argue is that inflation has come down for sort of other reasons rather than the traditional reasons. So supply side, speed of recovery, synchronicity of the recovery, I, mean, I, I can go on. But I would, so, so, and, and I would argue that process probably has a little bit further to go. We could disagree and debate, but so inflation's coming down. Rates, I would argue, are in a range and will remain in a range. And, uh, you know, our call is based on earnings rather than basically what's going to happen to rates. Uh, I, I think. But hasn't the Fed proved a bigger, draw, bigger pull for the market lately than earnings? Uh, it, 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 it has, but I would put it sort of as, you know, it's, I mean, so, so they pivoted massively just after we had put in a 10% correction that went on for several months. So there's a lot of things happening at the same time. So it's a catalyst. If it hadn't been the catalyst, I would argue there would have been another one. If you think about that 10% correction and had three separate drivers, three different phases, and each of them argued that it would be temporary. So I would argue we would, maybe we wouldn't be as up here as we are, or the speed with which it happened. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I mean, like I said, you know, we've had six quarters of solid growth. Uh, there's been a lot of boogeymen uh, in the closet, yes, yes. on the table, yeah, uh, everywhere. Keeps us on the air. Uh, and, 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 and so far, you know, the simple study trend-like growth in PCE has won the day. Now, 
It's been steady for 10 years with a two-year period around the pandemic when, of course, we collapsed and we came back. But uh, and, 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 and so, yeah, the textbook tells you to worry, but uh, there's no sign of it. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, look at, way to think about the, the trend, at least, uh, and we'll be keeping an eye on your calls, as we always do. Good yeah. to see you. Thank you, Thank you, Chuck. Thank, Thank you. you. Still ahead, Google revamping its AI lineup in an effort to catch up to the competition. We're going to have details after a quick break. Google's Bard is now Gemini, the search giant renaming the chatbot after the AI model powering it and also announcing a paid subscription for access to a more advanced version. Deirdre Bosa is breaking all that down in today's Tech Check. Morning, Dee. Hey, good morning, Carl. The chatbots are coming, and it seems like Google finally got the message, but is it willing to disrupt search? Still, it's golden goose quick enough to actually take the lead here. Here is what Google did today. Streamlined its generative AI under one name, one brand, Gemini. It'll be everywhere that Google is, on mobile, on your Gmail, even as a toggle in Google search itself. But it does not address a bigger question. Will Gemini replace or will it supplement Google? Will we go from Googling something to Geminiing it? And will that be as lucrative? That last part especially, that's not clear. So Sundar Pichai, he is still hedging. He's creating an alternative, not a replacement. Gemini will be a separate app in the Android ecosystem. There's a paid tier. The default on iPhones will still be Google search. So in this way, Google is still in experimental and testing mode. It's not pulling a Facebook slash meta, changing its name from Google to Gemini or Alphabet to AI-phabet. Hat tip to Mark Gilbert for that one. Um, and that's really been the most criticized part of Google's AI strategy. It moves too slow, and then it has to rush to play catch-up, not always with the best results. Always remember that Google developed the foundational technology that made ChatGPT possible, yet OpenAI stole its mainstream AI moment along with Microsoft. Bottom line here, guys, Gemini could be a leapfrog moment, but it's more of an evolution. That could be good enough, but it may also not be enough. As upstarts and mega caps alike, they race to be the next Google. We did a deep dive on this topic in our latest Tech Check Weekly, and this is increasingly relevant. Be sure to check it out at cnbc.com slash tcweekly or on YouTube. We speak to new Gen AI native players like Perplexity and Arc, and we break down Google's advantages, which cannot be ignored, guys. It still has the distribution and the data, and it's almost become like a tagline, but data is the gold in this generative AI race. When you say that, when you say ahead or behind, are you talking about the technology? Are you talking about enterprise use? Are you talking about adoption, revenues? How do we measure it? Great question. So those are all very good categories, and you can be ahead or behind in any of those. And I, nobody would ever argue that Google is behind in terms of the technology. Um, there's arguing about what's better, what's the better model, but they're all very good. And if you're not a programmer and if you're not trying to develop really advanced technology, I'm more talking about the adoption, and that's key, the adoption and the monetization, right? Because that's what's going to matter for investors, our audience. And do consumers need to use the very best model. They probably can't really tell the difference between ChatGPT and Gemini and Claude and a few others. And also there's this idea that they may all be commoditized anyways, and maybe it's gonna be an open source model. So what I'm really talking about here is the adoption. Just like Google mm -hmm. became a verb and a noun at the, near the beginnings of the internet, what's gonna become that? What's gonna replace that for consumers? Who's gonna get all the dollars from that? Got it. So. Is it a rising tide lifts all boats just because everybody's moving to AI or this is going to be winner take all? 
Um, I guess it depends, right? I mean, look at what happened with search. Google became the winner. Yeah, it has sure. 90% market share for the last decade plus, right? And if you think that it could evolve like that, and that's still a big question. Are there going to be many? Is there going to be one that you go to? Um, but that's really the fear here is that Google search won't be it. It won't be 90% yeah. market share in the future. All right, Deirdre, thank you for breaking that down for us. Deirdre Bosa in San Francisco. After the break, the CEO of Kimco Realty joins us on the back of a strong quarter. The company signing 1 million square feet of new leases, which is the highest quarterly level in over 10 years. Money Movers, we'll be right back. We'll close out the hour talking earnings. So many different parts of the economy reporting. How about commercial real estate? Kimco Realty posting a revenue beat in Q4 with guidance in line with expectations for the year ahead. All those concerns resurface in recent weeks about commercial real estate and regional banks' exposure when it comes to lending. Joining us to discuss is Kimco Realty CEO Connor Flynn. Connor, welcome. You're a reminder that not all commercial real estate is under stress right now. You've got mostly shopping centers and supermarkets. How's it going? Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. No, you're spot on. I think when you look at the fundamentals of the shopping center industry and Kimco is benefiting from a, an imbalance of supply and demand. You know, in general, when you look at the supply side, you know, 0.1% of existing stock is under construction in retail. That's the lowest in over 40 years. Then when you look at the demand side, new stores are opening versus closings at a two to one pace. And that's what drove three records for us this quarter. You know, first, you mentioned earlier, you know, a million square feet of new leasing is a record for us. We had a quarter over quarter occupancy jump of 70 basis points, which is the highest in over 15 years. And then finally, our small shop occupancy reached an all time high this this quarter. And that really is the the testament to, to all the small businesses that are opening today in the United States. Can you can you break it down for category from a, for us the the different tenants you have? I mentioned grocery was a big part of the portfolio. Retail, who's who's doing well and who's not? Absolutely. So the, the merchandising mix is is critical for Kimco because you want every uh, retailer to feed off each other. Typically, we have a grocery anchored shopping center, and it's the dominant grocer in the trade area. If you're in Florida, it's usually a Publix, you know, Kroger, Ajo Del Hayes, Albertsons. It could be a, a Whole Foods or a Trader Joe's. And then you merchandise around that. And there is a bunch of expanding retailers in our sector right now that we're taking advantage of. TJ Maxx and all their banners, whether it's Home Goods, HomeSense, Marshalls, Sierra Trading Post, Ross and Burlington, they're all doing hundreds of new stores. You've also got Sporting Goods with Dick Sporting Goods and some of their new, newer concepts expanding. Um, and then on the smaller shop side is really where we see a blend of restaurants, like quick service restaurants that are doing quite well. You know, Chipotle just had a, a, a great quarter as well. And we do a lot of deals with them. In addition, you see a lot of services coming back. So what was you know de- like deferred during COVID, a lot of those services are actually coming back strong. Now, hair salons, nail salons, and then medical is a bigger component today of our small shop leasing as well. Yeah, I've seen a couple of pieces, Connor, in the last week, just sort of reframing the view of, of the American shopper, arguing that we're social animals, we want experiences. And I wonder if you, what do you think it does to the share that we one day, or that we once thought uh, e-commerce would take over of American retail. You know, you're spot on. I think for a number of years, it was a winner-take-all type of scenario. It was either going to be all e-commerce or all brick-and-mortar. And now the biggest e-commerce players are, are brick-and-mortar players. If you think of what Amazon is doing, they're leaning into Whole Foods, expanding that banner. Um, you've got Walmart doing new stores again. Most of the, the brick-and-mortar players 
are, are embracing e-commerce and using the stores for distribution and fulfillment. So if you buy online, you can pick it up in store if it's more convenient. And that's where Kimco's portfolio is really strategically positioned. We want to be close to where you live, where you work, and where you play. And that shopping center is a convenience aspect of either re returning goods or buying goods. And, and the consumer is really gravitating towards that. Would you get into office buildings or where, where some of the more painful spots are, where we're going to see banks unloading some exposure? You know, I think we're sticking to our knitting here at Kimco. We've been uh, in the retail sector for our entire career. And um, and obviously, we, we like the fundamentals. You know, that, that is sort of the building blocks of our growth that's accelerating year over year. And we continue to see, you know, no new supply on the horizon. So I think for us, you know, we look at the, the shopping center sector as one that can create additional value through redevelopment. And you're seeing us with our mixed-use portfolio as we unlock entitlements to to build whatever the highest and best uses on some of our parking lots that are underutilized. But most of what we're activating is, um, is, is multifamily or apartment towers that enhance the retail and the retail enhances mm. the multifamily. All right, Connor, thank you for joining us. Connor Flynn from Kimty Realty Company. Appreciate it. With uh, S&P now negative, we're backing away, 49.92. So it didn't quite get to that 5,000 level, but we're awfully close. And there's still a lot of strength in this market from some of the earnings movers today and from tech as well. Are you ready for revisions tomorrow? CPI revision. You know, everyone's paying so much closer attention to this than I would have thought. And I think it's because Waller, Governor Waller of the Fed said that he watches this number and he's been kind of a leading voice on what the Fed is gonna do next. So let's see if it is as bad as the numbers say it is or if it's if it's more benign, for instance, right. than the inflation readings we've been getting or higher. Also interesting, I mean, we've waded through so much Fed speak this week, but Barkin's comments about the reliability of data I thought was interesting yesterday and sort of response fatigue, sort of coloring the, the numbers we're getting and whether yeah. or not they, they color the truth. Right. It's true, because what we're getting from companies isn't necessarily as rosy. Although I would say I have not found, there hasn't been a Fed speaker yet that says we should be cutting now, March. No, no not yet. So, so that split is not there. They're all kind of in patience mode. We'll wait for that uh, tomorrow in a busy night tonight. Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade. The tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, Stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit TastyTrade.com. TastyTrade, Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC.